Guaso, bro. Ay. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode 103 of the Third Sub Podcast, presented by Macy Sports. I'm your host, Alexander Gongay Ruzik, and I am joined, as always, by Sammy Rowan in the midst of a... Still, we're on the, the, the wrong end, or I guess the good end, depending on how you look at it, of an intense heat wave in Vancouver. And we have a lot of heat to talk about today with the Vancouver Whitecaps, who, you know, found a little hot pocket of their own, a bit of hot form. They stole a point away from home off of the current Supporters' Shield winners in the midst of, you know, a five-game losing streak because that's what the Vancouver Whitecaps do. They always seem to find a way in the strangest of times. But before we dive into that and a whole symphony of other Whitecaps news and MLS news, Sam, how's it going this week as we cope with this intense heat wave that has shackled the, the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, it's been it's been crazy, and I, I guess I've kind of double accumulated on top of myself because I just got my second my second COVID nineteen vaccination. So obviously that's good news, but I'm having a hard time recently telling what is down to the heat, what's down to side effects after the vaccine. Might as well just you know stack all those things up and just get it out of the way. So starting to feel on the mend a little bit now. If you haven't gone and get your vaccination yet, go do that for sure. And yeah, impressive showing for the Whitecaps. It didn't necessarily, you know, they're still bottom of the Western Conference. There's still a lot of work to do, but it was nice to see a a buoying performance to some degree. I, I actually kind of felt optimistic or encouraged at moments coming out of that Whitecaps match, which hasn't been an often feeling this year. Talking to Mark Dos Santos after the match, he actually seemed positive. He seemed encouraged. It was kind of fun to to chat with him about how the match went, and it, it feels like it's been a long time since we've been able to do that. Big picture wise, um, with some of the regulations changing, the first of the month here looks like we may have Whitecaps matches at BC Place in August. That would be terrific. Obviously, Alex and I'd be pretty excited to be back in BC Place. Would be even though we got to go back in the fall in September, it would still be almost a year since our last Whitecaps match in person, which just seems insane. Uh, but but yeah, I don't know. Overall, things are looking up despite the heat wave, despite the fact the Whitecaps are still near the bottom of the standings. It was a, a relatively feel-good weekend. Uh, maybe not if you're a France fan, maybe not if you're a Germany fan, but for the most part, it was encouraging. Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly a good thing you got your, your your second dose after the Whitecaps game. If I were you, I probably wouldn't have believed the results if I was all, you know, feeling that second dose fog and the heat wave. Heck, even through the heat wave, I had trouble believing that the Whitecaps not only just got this 2-2 result, but, like, they actually looked half decent for, for their troubles. I mean, they started well. They conceded a goal because that's what they do, even when they, they either start poorly and... Uh, they concede a goal. They start well or concede a goal. So uh, obviously, first halves haven't been much of the Whitecaps' magic this season. And then they get rewarded for their efforts. They come back from down 
one nil. Then obviously they gave up a goal. It was bound to happen. There's a reason why the Seattle team is undefeated despite playing some pretty good opposition. You're not, you're not too, too mad about that, but for them to then hold on to the lead at the end of the game, it's decent character. It's decent, just decent all around. It was a good performance. I mean, there's still some work obviously for it to be a great performance, but all things considered, you absolutely every day of the week, take a result like that against the Seattle team, considering uh, everything. And, I guess it's just one of those where it's, it's, in the grand scheme of things, it won't mean much. You know, you're not changing the playoff picture. You're not altering your fortune. But, hey, if the Whitecaps go on an, a positive run of form now after having gone on that negative run of form, it's one of those where you, you, you look back and like, okay, maybe that, that was the catalyst. And there are big things to come, like you mentioned. It sounds like the Whitecaps are close to, to making a big signing and who knows, maybe a few other signings. They have the roster space to do it. Heck, at this point, you almost feel like it's certainly Ali Adnan's got to be close to returning at a certain point. And if not, when they return to Canada, he'll be at least be allowed to play home games. So at least you'll have 50% of an Ali Adnan. Just, you know, use him in a mercenary role at home and uh, let Gutierrez run free on the road. And just, yeah, the idea of fans being back at home uh, under the current regulations that will apply July 1st, the Whitecaps could play with up to 27,000 fans, obviously, they have to open up the upper bowl, so that number could be closer to ten to fifteen thousand. But still, you know what? Considering that the Whitecaps sometimes did get fifteen thousand for those, you know, late summer nights, it'll feel a bit like a return to normal. Just be nice to get back in the, you know, back in seats, back in the press box, just back hearing the the Southsiders sing, watching the Whitecaps play at home. It's it's it, you know, it's this this Seattle win could be the the bar. Uh, for things to come both in on and off the field. So it, it was a good result. And I guess well, we, we can kind of dive a, li- a little more into what actually paved the way for this result. But uh, overall, you got to be feeling good after that 2-2 in Seattle on Saturday. Yeah, against, uh, I mean, scoring two open play goals against a team that hadn't surrendered a goal from open play all year was definitely a positive and a big reason for that, I think, at least in our estimation. And I think Mark Dos Santos better be on board at this point is the 4-3-3. We saw him try it, then go away from it, then come back to it. It was interesting because really, if anything, you would think a match like the one against Seattle is maybe where you go counter strategy and play more defensive. But credit to Dos Santos, he was brave enough to try out the 4-3-3 against Seattle. And I think it goes to show that you just need to play your game and and dictate terms when you get the opportunity and not worry so much about matching up against the opponent sometimes because the Whitecaps did some really good things in that shape. It certainly opened up a lot of opportunity for uh, Deber Caicedo in particular looked phenomenal. Dahomey, the stats were there, the, the goal, the assist. So he definitely had a good performance as well. And you know, a little bit more service for Lucas Cavallini, not a heck of a lot, but there were a lot of things about that 4-3-3, at least in terms of the attackers that really got the most out of those players. We can talk about the midfield, maybe we'll get into that in a bit, but uh, Alex, your thoughts, thoughts on the front three at least. Well, it's one thing we pointed out if to any of you who did listen to our pregame third sub-live show. Again, check that out before every Whitecaps game. You might, because yeah, as we say, we mentioned in that show, the 4-3-3 actually did match up well against Seattle, despite what, you know, the Whitecaps playing in a 4-4-2, you do wonder, should they have bunkered down and kept things tight? Well, against Seattle's 3-5-2, there's a lot of exposed space in wide areas. And 
we saw that on the white caps two goals i mean one a long ball from kyle alexandre first of all what a ball that was to, to find christian dahome in a pocket between the high wing back in the three five two and the the left-sided center back dahome just kind of recognized the high line the confusion got in behind made a goal happen even on the second goal dahome got a lot of space no one closed him down he plays the ball that Personally, if you're Mark DeSantos, you take every player not named Lucas Cavallini and you show them that ball on a loop week after, like every day at training for at least three hours this week because that's the kind of ball that Lucas Cavallini should, should be getting. He's, that's the kind of ball that he's made a living out of. And it's this is that was pretty much one of the first times this season, bar other than maybe that time Russell Tybert delivered two of those balls in a five-minute sequence against Minnesota United, if you remember correctly. That was one of the first times he's gotten a ball like that all year. And surprise, surprise, even despite his best attempts to miss the ball, it's still ricocheted off about 17 of his body parts and into the goal. So, you know, it showed there was space to be had in the wide areas. The Whitecaps exploited that. But even then against other teams, there's no reason why they shouldn't continue working in this formation. It gets the best out of their players. And uh, even though some weeks the matchups might not be there, just seeing what it did for Diber Caicedo, Christian Dahomey, what it did for Cavalini getting some service finally, just what it did for unlocking the three guys in midfield, a guy like Kyle Alexandre. He, he looks, continues to look fantastic, really. I mean, for example, on football reference, now that he's played 450 minutes, uh, he gets a comparable chart that, that stacks him up to all the midfielders in MLS. And it's, he's in the top 25% in pretty much every offensive stat, which considering that the Whitecaps as a whole are in the bottom third for most stats, it's, it's so impressive and it shows why the Whitecaps need to play a 4-3-3 to get the most out of him. So overall, I think they, they we've, we've kind of set it for a while. They need to stick with the 4-3-3, but I think this result against a good team and just some of those other numbers shows why it gives concrete examples to why the 4-3-3 should stick instead of just a few, you know, visual examples. It's not just the eye test. The numbers are starting to, to back it up now here. Yeah, I, th- I think it's becoming more and more clear uh, especially, you know, if you can if you can match it up against Seattle and you can go in with that shape and have success, then I think that has to encourage you that you could you can take that game anywhere and be competitive. And so I'm very excited about that. The one thing fans and I don't think we were terribly excited about either was now, mind you, squad depth was limited, so I think there are extenuating circumstances here, especially at that fullback position, and we saw Yanio Bakel shift, but Russell Tybert starting in the midfield. Uh, a lot of discussion. I mean, you you talked about those FB ref comparables and how Kyle, Kyle Alexandre is in the top 25. Russell Tybert not only is in the bottom 25 percentile, but there's some categories where he's one of the worst players in MLS. If we look at dribbles completed, progressive carries, progressive passes, passes attempted all of those i'm looking down aerials one i guess that one's kind of fair tackles as well we're talking bottom 10 percentile things like things like dribbles and tackles he's in the bottom two percent so you know that that's that's an area of struggle for sure i understand the whitecaps probably they want to see alexandre bakel and uh and Baldy together in midfield, that has to be their strongest midfield three. But if you have to put Bakel back at the at the fullback position, then I, I guess at this point, Tybert's the next man up. But that that brings Leo Usu into the fold. And we continue to question if again, you know, shout out to our pregame shows, 
what's going on with a guy that you paid a million dollars to bring in and was you know supposed to be was one of these first new additions to the squad and was supposed to have an impact and we're seeing you know someone who very clearly contributes little if anything to the starting lineup being chosen ahead of Awusu and later we'll give a shout out to Pat Metcalf as well who uh, made a pretty good case late on for some minutes but yeah Alex you've you've always been big on the Awusu hype train so What's going on right now? I don't know if we have answers, but at least try to, you know, put some sense into it for us. It just doesn't make sense because, again, there's the whole investment thing. You pay so much money. There's the whole international spot thing. It's like at a certain point. If he's not a starter, I, why I, is he taking an international spot? It's It doesn't matter what we rate of him, first of all. Like, purely from the white cap standpoint, if you do not rate him as a player and you spent a million dollars in an international spot, cut your losses. Get rid of him. There's no pre- give, point, give him the Yasser give him the Yasser Kamiri treatment if you have to. Well, there's no point in devaluing your asset if you do not believe in him. And first of all, they they don't realize the potential of the asset they have on their hands. I mean, we've been saying it. At least I have. He's better further up the pitch. Yet he was deployed as a number six for most of his minutes last year. Then he was in a double pivot where he wasn't allowed to get forward. The, the the 15 minutes he played as a number 10 last year where his best 10 minutes is, you know, in a white cap shirt against Montreal where he provided an assist. He was everywhere. And then, of course, naturally after a player plays his 15 best minutes in a white cap shirt, we never see him in that position again. And it's just frustrating because you look at a lot of the white caps problems, you know, progressing in the final third, passes into the final third. Leonard Wuss has been good at that, even by his MLS numbers. Despite having to play as a number six, he's still been one of the better white caps at getting the balls in the final third heck even amongst his mls peers he's consistently rated well in that stat i mean even if we're going to go to football reference there is a lot of red in his chart which to be fair how much is that just the position he's been deployed in as it is him it's not as not as red as wrestle type there is some you know some 30s some 40s some 50 percent but for example just the fact that he's you know, in the 82nd percentile, so top 20% in dribbles completed, top 30% in pass, passes completed on a Whitecaps team that doesn't progress the ball too much. You know, at least stats like that suggest why not try him, you know, up the pitch? Why not play him up the pitch? I just think it's certainly frustrating because we've seen enough of Russell Tybert in offensive roles this year. He's been playing as a winger all year has the sample size on Russell Dybert not been big enough to realize not only by the numbers, but by the eye test, whatever he's doing isn't working. I mean, aside from his ability to cross in balls and, you know, I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due His crossing for whatever reason. I don't know where and how this has come up. He is a fantastic crosser of the ball, but for all the, you know, the crossing that he can do, just having a guy like Leonard Owusu get the ball up the pitch seems like the better idea right now. So I just remain confused to why, especially in a game like this where you're playing Bikel at right back, could it have not been easy to play Michael Baldissimo as a number six, Leonard Owusu and Kyle Alexander as your two number eights. Like, I feel like that sort of ball progression, uh, if you're worried about defensive ability, Owusu can still defend. You can still get stuck in on there, uh, give you a little defensive presence, but at least, at least you'd, you'd be trying to fix the Whitecaps chance creation problem because I'm just worried for, for long-term what the plan is there. Do you plan to get rid of him? Is it another waste international spot? at a certain point it just feels like a waste of an asset even just let alone a waste of a player that could be helping this white cap side yeah and and the reason i think we were excited about this addition when it came in is you've seen other players come from the israeli league and have success in mls uh 
you know, shout out to SKC and Gadi Kinda. That would be the the big one that comes to mind, right? And okay, Kinda put up pretty big numbers in the Israeli league, and that's not you know a direct comparable, but there's still there's a there's a pathway that shows that players from that league can come in and be contributors. And it's just frustrating because again, you're entering one of these scenarios where it's hard to tell really if you've seen what Owusu has to offer. It's one thing to say, oh, he hasn't been good enough in his action, but there's also the debate, have we really seen an appropriate sample size to have any idea if that's the full slate of what he has to offer? And it's just frustrating, especially when the depth is so so scant that even in that scenario, he can't get into the lineup. And uh, it's going to be, inter- it's gonna be interesting. He, he I mean, it might not too. be, a, it might not be an issue. I guess it's, you know, he's not going to, if he's not a starter now, he's not going to be a starter when Bakel is back in the midfield. So we're maybe not going to encounter this again for a little bit, but uh, what would have been a prime opportunity for him to get some minutes now seems to have kind of gone to waste. It's just frustrating after the preseason he had. Again, he was so good. Mark DeSantos singled him out as one of his standouts. Yes, he gets injured, but like, what did that injury change? He's on the sideline for a few weeks. He misses some training. I mean, he's far from the only player to have dealt with injuries this year, yet he's been one who uh, he got he got injured. He just hasn't been able to find his way back in, and it's it's certainly been confusing, but Maybe enough on Owusu. If we're going to talk about players who've shown a lot of potential, but we're still looking for that defining moment. I don't think he has that defining moment quite yet, but he certainly had the game of, of his, at least his short tenure in a white cap shirt, Diber Caicedo. I mean, we talk about the 4-3-3 benefiting certain white caps. He looked like a man on a mission on, uh, you know, on, on Saturday. And that's good news for the white caps. Anytime you have a young 20-year-old player, who has his best game against the best teams. That's always a good sign. It's, you know, just some of the numbers looked good. Obviously he has a chance in the first half. I think he's probably still thinking about to this day. He probably should have done better, but he was just causing so much problem, you know, so many problems for, for, for the Seattle defense. And I think it's, you know, the fact that him and his, his, his compatriot Christian Dahomey in those wide areas, they look so much better on Saturday. It really shows what the four three three could do. So, I mean, Sam, if we're going to throw it to you, what are your thoughts on Diver Caicedo in that game? How big is that game for him? Because there's obviously some doubters already starting to come up. You, you could slowly start to see it. Is this kid worth the money? Why the heck did they invest in him? Why are they going to the Colombian League? How big was a performance like that from Caicedo to kind of show that, okay, the Whitecaps do have an asset here. It's just about putting him in positions to succeed. Boy, did he, he ever come. I guess I'd say it's fair to say he succeeded on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly what the Whitecaps were, maybe without the, you know, the total end product. He still looks just a little, there's that moment of hesitation in in front of goal, which he's going to get over. Uh, I'm not worried about it at all. But the progressive carries, taking guys on 1v1, dribbling, I mean, that's the Whitecaps have had wingers like that, but he in the 4-3-3, kind of provides that complete package. He's willing to track back. He's willing to make the little off-ball runs. He's willing to do those things as well as taking on players 1v1. And that's what's really exciting to me. And he's definitely dangerous when he gets when he gets a full back or he gets a, a center back, a wide center back, you know, looking both ways. They're, they're worried about his speed, but he also has the technical ability. He's not just a burner. It's He's very footed as well. Yeah, which is it's very nice exciting. Show. It's very exciting. I'm I'm happy to see him just slowly. Like this is what happens all the time. Players come to MLS, and it 
it doesn't happen immediately, especially youngsters. So I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, this, this better be for this Whitecaps management group, a player that they, they help develop and they help him raise his, his ceiling, right? Cause you know that he has that in him. It's just kind of being put in the correct positions. And, you know, if they're going to get a prolonged run here with the 4-3-3, then I think that's a really good opportunity for Daber to bag some goals, bag some assists, and just build his confidence. Yeah, and I think, and then again, we have to remember, it's the white caps. There's guys, just new guys aren't necessarily set up to come have success in a system where there's, you know, the white caps are still figuring out who they are as a team. It's, I bet you if you plug a guy in like Caicedo into many other teams in MLS, he'd be thriving right now. And, and that's more just, you know, again, A, the, how good he is as a player, but also B, just the state of the Whitecap team that he's, he's come into. Or as a 20-year-old, he's had to be kind of a savior of sorts. So, of course, when he's not living up to those, you know, massive expectations, some have, you know, obviously most people who've you know seen his profiles know the state of the white caps aren't putting those expectations on him but i can see why some have seen okay 2.5 mil for for him coming from columbia big expectations of course he's going to fall short it's it's a you know a big task that only a few players can can certainly put up with and you know kind of to, to to look ahead at what we might talk about the, the white caps are looking at a player that certainly seems to have the qualities to to do that but aside from players like that that player we'll talk about in a bit it's hard to come in and be a, a, a load carrier, so to speak, for the Whitecaps, a guy who has to drive the bus because, first of all, the Whitecaps bus is bigger and heavier than, than the most bus in the league. But, uh, again, so that's all that to say for Diber Caicedo. The talent is there. We've said it the first viewing we had of him live when we were both at UBC and we saw him put Jake Nowinski on skates and cross in balls and hit a few top corner shots. He has a talent. It's all just about finding a formation that isolates him 1v1 with fullbacks and center backs. A formation that sees him get the ball often. So even if he makes a mistake, he'll get the ball five minutes later and get a chance to atone for, for himself. Because just think of some of his best moments before this game. I think of his goal where he was so patient against Houston to, to cut inside and finish. I think of the chances against Colorado where he was patient in those games and he came just short. All year he's had good chances. He's been getting in good areas. So I think there's so much more to come for him. So the Whitecaps absolutely have to get the most out of him because as a non-DP player, a young player, he's the kind of found money that could, that could really set this roster over the top. Obviously, you want your guys like your Lucas Cavallini's, your Ali Adnan's, your DP number 10s to carry the load. But you need also guys like Caicedo. And to kind of throw it over to Dahomey, I think Dahomey is a perfect example of what he can be and what that end product could look like because uh, on Saturday, he certainly showed that. So it's exciting to, to imagine the prospect of both of those guys playing together in a 4-3-3. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't necessarily a, an overly flashy performance from Dahomey, <laughs> but just two great Clinical. two great moments, right? I mean, obviously the, the Alexandre pass to unlock him on the first goal is... You know, just looked effortless, but you you can't un possibly underrate that. Or, yeah, it was just that was a phenomenal ball. But then the way that Dahomey is able to take it, control it, scoop it over the keeper, and then slot it home is is a pretty good bit of work. I don't think it was the the best night on earth for the Sounders keeper, but the the Whitecaps don't need to worry about that. And then the second the second goal, I mean, yeah, it bounces off every part of Kava's body, but it's one of those balls that was, we've seen this in the world, and not in the World Cup, in the, in the Euros so far, that when you place those 
pretty much perfect crosses, it leaves the defenders they like they one way or another, whether it's off the attacker, off a defender, it's such a dangerous ball, it's going to find its way most of the time into the back of the net. And that was the case. It was just it was such a good ball from Dahomey that it was gonna find its way home. And so Nice to see him get back to his early season kind of match-breaking form where he'd, I think more than anyone on the Whitecaps right now, Dahomey is the player who can take things over, who can affect the outcome most. And that's that's obviously the kind of player you want to have on your team. And uh, yeah, shout out to him. He continues, you know, short of Max Carpo and goal to be the Whitecaps' most valuable player so far this year. Well, I think, yeah, you look at the guys in the roster, I think Max Crepo is certainly MVP shout. A guy like Kyle Alexandre, I think, you know, has those similar qualities, but it's no coincidence that Dahomey, it's just wild to think, four goals to assist through 10 games, which is for a winger, you know what? That's on pace for what, 12, 13 goals, six assists in a full year? Like, if you can keep up that pace, first of all, that's quite the, uh, that's quite the output for him, but... That's 60% of the Whitecaps goals he's been directly involved in. And I'm sure there's a few more that if you look at MLS assists, secondary assists and all that, there's even more involvements. I mean, in the three of the four games that he's had a goal involvement, they've won or picked up points. And obviously in the other games where he hasn't, they've pretty much lost most of them. Like Christian Dahomey, when he, he has this ability to, to take a game over and the, the Whitecaps need that right now. And it's, it's a credit to him as, as a player that, from a winger position, he's been able to just be so impactful defensively, offensively, his goal scoring, his chance creation. I mean, that's two assists now in two games for him after obviously that goal rush at the beginning of the year. There's just a lot of like to the homies game. We've always, at least on this, uh, the third sub, at least we've always been a big fan of what the game is. He's one of the most consistent wingers I've ever seen defensively, just in terms of how he plays every game. He rarely has anything less than a six out of 10, but just now he's adding Ed product into his game and it's making him so much more dangerous. And the Whitecaps need that right now because a guy like Lucas Cavallini, as much as he can be a player like that in the right positions, he's kind of one of those players. He needs service. He's a striker. There's not many strikers in the world that you put out there. They're out there single-handedly getting goals. So, uh, you know, guys like Dahomey are huge. Guys like Kyle Alexander, guys like Max Crepo are huge for the Whitecaps. I think of those three, Dahomey certainly is, has been the guy that's found a way to step up biggest in these big moments. And there was, you know, no bigger moment than away from home against your rivals for him to put up a performance like that. You have to be happy on every front. Absolutely. Um, kind of rounding out the, the front three here. I just wanted to ask you quickly, Alex, for your thoughts on Lucas Cavallini. Cause I mean, he does, he does reopen his account. He does get a goal, but I continue to be somewhat perturbed and frustrated with, Cava's performances it's you know we we know he doesn't offer a lot off the ball but just the that in combination with the the reckless yellow cards and overall sort of petulant attitude at times it's it's a bit frustrating to watch I I don't know I just I, it's something that's been burning a little bit recently and I'm yeah I want I want to hear your thoughts on this I just continue to be frustrated by his deployment I think because right. We know his qualities. He's a fantastic presser of the ball. Probably one of the best out there in MLS. He's, his aggression is a bit too much. Uh, he's already one yellow card away from suspension. It just in only 10 games through the season, which 
you know, there's some guys who've already got suspended this year. Like there's defensive midfielders, there's center backs. That's normal. The fact that this striker is one caution away from a suspension. I mean, it, it shows you how eager he is, but again, it's just off the ball on the ball. I mean, or just like some of his hold up play, he's got a good hold up play, but he's just, he's not a guy that you want running with the ball at his feet in transition. He's a guy you want his back turned to goal or getting on the end of crosses. So it's frustrating that you, even again, you look at today's position map as per who scored. Obviously, they do average position maps. Like Diber Caicedo and Christian Dahomey are higher on him than him on the field. Lucas Cavallini was as high as Russell Tybert on the pitch offensively. That is not good from your, your number nine. For, for a number nine that has Lucas Cavallini's qualities, that is. Obviously, there are some false nines, some guys around MLS who can play a little deeper. I mean, you know, even if we're going to look at a guy on the other side, I mean, a guy like Raul Ruiz Diaz has shown to, to be able to to play in that role. Um, you know, you look at some other guys, heck, a guy like Will Bruin played a little deeper. His play of the ball at his feet was certainly, he showed that he's capable. But a guy like Lucas Cavallini, that's just not his game. I don't know what the, the plan is with the deployment. Obviously, he's made some jokes about, oh, I've been playing as a number 10. He uh, just needs to stop. It needs to stop because he has such good qualities that could be better served elsewhere. And if, if you're going to play kind of with him as a false nine, you may as well put a guy like Ryan Raposo in that position. You may as well put a guy like, you know, there's other options on the bench. You may as well put four midfielders on and play one as a false nine, like a Leonard Owusu or a Kyle Alexandre, as ridiculous as that sounds. Because at a certain point, you're better off getting someone who's technically capable of transitioning the ball and keeping attacks going because for soon the ball gets to Cavallini's feet and he's turned forward it just it doesn't end well and it's unfortunate because he's been playing well otherwise he's always going to give you a shift when he gets in the box and gets on crosses even if he doesn't score they threaten the keeper he he gets in defenders like the last thing you want to see as a defender is you look up at the home is crossing the ball for example you turn over your shoulder you got Cavallini bearing down on you about to either you know get to the ball or take you out that's not what you want to deal with so I just continue to be frustrated by his deployment, but it's certainly something they have to find a way to to fix either through telling Cavalier just stay up the field and stay high, or I don't know what the fix entails, but it certainly needs to be done soon. Yeah, I guess given given what you just said and rethinking my thoughts, it's just sort of cha- it's frustrating that the Whitecaps have brought in such a such a specific player for. A team that wasn't ready for that piece, right? You've brought in this this specialized piece of equipment, and you don't have the basic equipment, you know. And and it's just it's difficult to see him in that that role and having to do things he's not good at, and then getting frustrated. And I think that leads to more yellow cards. That leads to some of the sort of attitude related stuff. Is it's got to be frustrating when you're not getting put in those those right positions. So, anyways, it's just match after match. You know, even when he bags a goal, it's just a a source of annoyance, but uh, hopefully, you know, we're, we're going to talk in a couple minutes here, maybe about a player who, who could help things out a little bit. I mean, heck, if you wanted to play a guy, uh, you literally had a perfect person for the role they're playing right now. And Freddie Montero, great with his yeah. feet, good at those late runs. It just makes you no know, sense to keep, to have a guy like Cavalini and just deploy them way he is. Cause again, I think he's a good player in the right situation can he absolutely be a dp yeah i think in the right situation i imagine him uh just you know to to, to throw an example out there imagine him on seattle for example with all the wide crosses they do imagine him on skc he'd be begging goals and he'd absolutely look like a dp so it's unfortunate that again like you mentioned 
he's almost like a, it's like having a steering wheel on a car when you don't even have an engine like the, you know it's it's useless having a piece like that you have the a piece that could be a very good final addition but when you don't have the basic fundamentals of your your system it seems a bit strange but hopefully you can find a bit of form soon i mean it's going to be interesting to see we have to remember that surprisingly the gold cup starts in 11 days so i think he's maybe got one game left with the white caps i, I think he's going to be called up for the gold cup i think mds again one thing de santos has always been fair with he never steps in the way of players getting international duty i think canada wants cavallini he's obviously a big part of their system uh, you know, guys like obviously those, it sounds like they're going to get a guy like Iowa Canola in for the gold cup, but otherwise there is always a spot for Lucas Cavallini. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Do we see more Theo bear? Do we see Brian white get a big run? Obviously they brought him in citing the international absence as a Cavallini. It's going to be interesting to see, see where he, what happens in the next few weeks. But I think he gets one last game against Dallas. I'm curious to see how that goes. If we finally start to see him in that more of a, a proper role, but uh, otherwise, uh, kind of the last two talking points we have kind of maybe before we go into the, the center backs, should we talk a bit about, about Daniel Bikel's continued, you know, just workman like Swiss army knife role, or this time he gets put in the right back you know, he looks good there. He's played in defensive midfield. He looks there. What to make a Daniel Bikel sound. I mean, he continues to be, I mean, we've had, we both had him as one of our underrated players of the year for the Whitecaps, and he continues to to put up a shift wherever wherever asked for Mark DeSantos. Absolutely. It feels like a guy you could play at pretty much any position, and he'd do a pretty good job, right? He's got, he's got the work rate. He's got the attitude. He's got a pretty diverse skill set. I mean, we saw prior to him playing in this fullback role when he was part of a three-man midfield doing a lot more running on the ball, a lot more progression than we'd seen last year, and that was impressive. So uh, nothing but good things to say about Yanio. The only thing I, I noted in my post-match stuff was that I did think Michael Baldissimo suffered a bit as a consequence, not having Bikel in the midfield, because a lot more work, the fact that, frankly, Russell Tybert doesn't offer much of anything meant that Baldi was having to, especially when Alessandre was making runs up the pitch, Baldi had to do a lot of the work defensively, and there were just some some experienced guys in the Sounders midfield that gave him some trouble. He was dribbled past a number of times. You can argue about whether or not the uh, the turnover that led to the goal was a foul or not, it, but it, it just kind of exemplified the fact that maybe Baldi could have used a little bit of support. And so while I was massively impressed by Bikel's versatility, no surprise there, I, I do think he obviously fits a lot better in the midfield and can help get the most out of a guy like Baldy. I think, again, it shows, A, that they should have put a guy like Leonard Owusu in the midfield to help out. But I think of that first goal from Seattle, that Michael Baldissimo turnover, first of all, we rarely see from him. But the fact that happens in the Whitecaps had no cover behind him. Usually exactly. he's used to having a bit of protection. He's used to having a bit of shield and I think he did okay in a one-man, like that one-man number six playmaker role. His distribution was good. He had a, some really good sequences of possession, but it's just you're always going to lose a bit defensively without a guy like Bikel. So I, if anything, it also shows why it's been weird that Bikel's been playing as more of an eight than a number six when he's been in the midfield. I don't know what the the plan is there, but I agree with the the fact that moving Bikel does cost you ball, uh, ball you know, the frustrating thing is with having Bikel as a right back option, the white caps have three good white cap uh, right backs. Obviously I think at this rate, I don't think we, uh, one of Bruno Gaspar and Jake Norwinski is going to be gone. I think 
maybe for the Whitecaps guy like Jake Nowinski could be good trade bait within MLS. Maybe you can trade him and shore up another position. Uh, you know, maybe get a depth winger or get some, you know, some some money. But uh, you know, and obviously we want to see more Bruno Gaspar. He's looked good, but obviously injuries have been an issue. It's just yeah, you have so many right backs that a, a guy like Bakel. You know, it's, it would be nice to keep that as a stopper option against teams with good wingers. He's shown to be capable of getting rid of or take shutting down good wingers. It'd be nice to have. Okay, you're playing a Johnny Russell. Okay, you can get Johnny. You can get Daniel Bakel in there, or you're playing, you know, another good winger. Uh, there's plenty of good wingers, obviously, around MLS that uh, that could, you know, be stopped by, by you know having a stopper like Johnny Bakel. Sorry, could be useful, but obviously, I think his best position is the six, but credit to him for stepping up and i just like how consistent he also is in, in midfield and at right back so it's, it's certainly good for DeSantos to have a few of those kind of swiss army knife players you can turn to in, in certain moments but uh otherwise should we have a quick word on the the center backs it's certainly something i have a you know we've talked a lot about the center backs we've said that eric godoy and andy rose are the best pair uh, at least for a while now but Know, it's been a few games where the Whitecaps have given up some soft goals, you know, some goals where, again, you maybe wonder if the center backs could do something about that. So I guess my question is to you, what what are your thoughts on the Godoy Rose pairing now that we've seen a few games from it? Should the Whitecaps stick? Could a guy like Ranko Veselinovic or Derek Cornelius step in there? I just kind of just some some thoughts on, on the center back pairing. If, say, you're Mark DeSantos and you're, you're looking, you're evaluating, what where would you potentially go, Sam? knowing that what you've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're looking for an opportunity to to claim that it's time to go somewhere else at center back, the match against Seattle is probably not the, the best opportunity because both Rose and, and Godoy were really solid in that one. And if you look at the two goals against, the the moments of quality by Seattle – there wasn't necessarily a ton that could have been done. I think the the overlap on the first goal and the cutback, that's probably more in a defensive midfielder to try to recover there. Uh, the second goal, you know, yeah, it's the second phase of an opportunity around the box. But again, it was just kind of a screenshot, one of those things that happened. So I don't think that Rose and Godoy are, you know, are what's sinking this team or, or giving them difficulties Yes, Andy Rose in the match against LA Galaxy, that headed clearance near the end of the match probably wasn't the best, but I don't have any problems with Rose and Godoy at center back right now, and I'd be pretty surprised, to be honest, if MDS chooses to go in a different direction for this FC Dallas matchup. I think there's other things to worry about, and he probably wants that consistency and leadership back there. No, for sure. I think it's certainly not the problem, but it's certainly... It's been interesting. Obviously, Andy Rose is, you know, maybe hit a bit of a wall, say. I've been good all year. I, I've liked what I've seen. But you do, I just do wonder, maybe throwing in a guy like a, a – because Ranko and Derek, uh, DC, obviously have to be quite hungry on the bench. It is a bit weird to, uh, you know, to bench them for this long. And, you know, especially so much – after putting – after Ranko Veslimich was unbenchable last year when he, he wasn't all that good, he's been actually half decent this year, and he hasn't been able to get any sort of – run after his classic exactly exactly what you'd expect so it'd just be maybe it'd be nice to throw one of them in or at least keep the competition fresh keep it you know engaged i think you can't really afford to drop eric godoy at this point but uh 
I'd agree it's not the root of their problems, but it's certainly an area where you wonder if they could be kind of, you know, managing some of their players better, getting a guy in, you know, some guys minutes instead of just only throwing guys like DC at the end of games where he's, he's kind of got the impossible task of having to defend leads that are kind of being held on with, uh, you know, uh, basically equivalent to stopping Niagara Falls with a toothpick. So, you know, it'd be nice to see some, some better management there, I'd say. But again, no problems with Rose and Goodoy. But I am just starting to, to wonder that. All right. Well, third sub of the match time. And uh, it's one, Alex, you definitely wanted to talk about. The Whitecaps, they they bunkered in a bit. They they time-wasted MLS Extra Time. The, the podcast was shouting out the Whitecaps' incredible time-wasting skills. But overall, both Ranko, who we just discussed a little bit in the center back discussion, and Pat Metcalf as a defensive midfielder came on and had some crucial moments late in that match and I think performed really well under pressure. So, Alex, over to you for maybe an ode uh, on Pat Metcalf and and what he can provide and maybe a, a case for him to get more minutes at some point. Well, I was ecstatic when he came on the pitch. I always want to see some more Pat Metcalf. I feel like he never... Get we some. need we need more Canada U twenty threes for him to get some playing time again. Yeah, like he he was so good at the U twenty threes, and he just hasn't. He's gotten like three minutes here, a minute there. So obviously, when they 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 made their first two subs, again, interest to see Ranko Veselinovic come in for Andy Rose. So maybe a to return to my past point. Maybe they're already starting to, you know, for first of all, Andy Rose, you got to manage his injury. Uh, well, his like you know his his health at this age. So with the, the all the games so maybe we'll start to see some rotation but point aside it was good to see him come in as a third sub in the 81st minute you know you're like okay it's a bit early it's a 2-2 game what do they expect uh you know what are they expecting from him and he lived up to the bill and more for me there was one moment where i think he got slightly burned and he just cleaned out the seattle defender or the attacker with the ball and i think it's explicitly back to vancouver whitecaps for san jose earthquakes 4-3 mls is back Whitecaps blow a 3-1 lead on the 4-3 goal, the winning goal. Patrick Metcalf has a chance to clean out Shea Salinas. He doesn't. Salinas goes on and scores. Patrick, uh, you know, Metcalf should have taken the yellow. DeSantos mentioned is a bit of, okay, it's a learning moment for a young guy. He did not make that same mistake again. He cleaned out the, there was one or two instances where he made very smart tactical tackles, tactical fouls, kept things tiny in the midfield. That's growth. It's growth. It's little things. It's the kind of little things that a coach will love. So hopefully he can use this to leverage more playing time because it'd be nice for, for him to get some more burn, get get some more mitts in the white caps. He's a highly rated player. Canada, John Herdman wouldn't have called him up to help him train for some massive games for his country had he not believed in his potential as, as a player. So, you know, Patrick Metcalf should get more minutes for the white caps. I feel like he's a player, even if he's not necessarily starting, if you can give him 20, 30 minutes to end out games as a number six, especially with, you know, Michael Baldissimo, He's not much of a number six. If a guy like Daniel Bikel is playing a lot in midfield, heck, I'd almost be welcome to starting a game with the Baldissimo-Metcalf pairing. We saw how good it worked together at the U23s where Metcalf kind of did a lot of the dirty work for, for, for Baldissimo to free up. Why not try that? So, yeah, no, I was very impressed with Metcalf. If I had to give one word, obviously there's two more third subs of the games for us to dive into. I'd give, I'd just say professional. It was one of those games where Patrick Metcalf truly showed that he's starting to become a professional football player and that's exciting because there's a lot to like about him as a player yeah I I can't really add much to that because it pretty much summarizes what I would say but my word's going to be confidence because I think that although it was a limited role the fact that MDS was willing to put him on 
inside the last you know 10 minutes of the match in Seattle in that kind of environment goes to show that his confidence in the player has grown somewhat now you know are we going to see that continue to evolve who knows hopefully but I'm, I'm somewhat encouraged by the fact that he trusted Pat late in the match to come on and and he totally lived up to it so super excited about that yeah no it's always good to see young players especially two two away from home in a Darby game for young. I mean, we, we do have to be careful about the young player narrative with Pat because there's yeah, a lot of guys, a lot of new additions to the squad, internationals who are actually younger than Metcalf. And, and that's why we're calling for him to get some action because it's... He's ready. Yeah, he's ready for it. Exactly. But otherwise, we'll quickly mow through the, the rest of the third sub of the games. Brian White comes in for Christian Dahomey. I mean, if you had to pick a, a word, I guess presence. I noticed him, but that's about it. He offered, uh, you know, his presence in the sense of more like he showed up to class and he, you know, when the teacher called his name, he said Present. that he was there. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, that's it. He, he, he certainly filled the attendance, but he also did have a few good moments. He had a late chance that also could have uh, gone in. So you know what? As a late six-minute striker, not not much more to ask for him. And we'll get two birds with, with one stone here and go Ryan Raposo. I mean, typical is, you know, you, you put this guy on, you know, what you're going to get, if anything, why wasn't he on earlier uh, for, he comes in obviously for Russell Tiber. It would have been nice to see him earlier, but uh, Raposo continues to be that super, super sub. And he's well, well, well on pace to run away really with the third sub, uh, you know, third sub player of the year. You could have, you could have not only penciled, you could have put that one in permanent marker at the start of the year. That was, that was easy money. I, I, to be fair, my my projected pick was Patrick Metcalf, and he's starting to grow into it. He's had a few like stereotypical third sub of the games where I think of the one, I think it was against Toronto or, or at the beginning of the year where he came on for two minutes at the end of the game. That was like third sub. Like if there's, if you had a definition of the third sub, that was it. So, you know, Matt Metcalf, I'm not mad at my choice, but uh, certainly that's, that's also just tough on Ryan because he did get that one totally. start. And then he got sent right back to the bench. So he's been right back into his third sub of the game role. And then in terms of Brian White, something that continues to rattle around in my head, and, and we're going to have to see here when Cava goes on international duty, but could David Egbo be filling that exact same role? Is, is what he I called the man. What I continue to think. I mean, now that, now that the idea of Theo getting minutes is just so far removed from reality that we can't even go there. But, uh, I do wonder, we're going to see more Brian White, obviously, when Cava goes away. So maybe that 400000 in funny money is worthwhile. I, I just, a lot I, of money for I just a don't, sub. I don't know what the end product is there. We're, we're going to have to see. Um, Brian, Brian seemed really nice in all the media we've done so far. Like, happy to have him in Vancouver. Just in a, in a business and roster management sense, I, I'm already wondering about that one. It's just... Just again, four hundred thousand for a super sub. Uh, you know that feels like the kind of money. You, again, you double that money, you get a number ten in Jordy Mihailovic. You know, there's other guys for four hundred k. You get who are starters. It just feels a bit weird to spend that much money when you have a DP striker. You have a really highly touted draft pick in David Egbo. You have a really good prospect in Theo Bear. Feels a bit weird to shore that up with yet another MLS journeyman, right? So, uh, I guess obviously we. We're not in there, you know, the white caps heads there. We're not necessarily seeing the same thing that, that they were there. But uh, I like Brian White again. Like we said, I like it. It just continues to be such a strange. If we're going to talk about asset management, very strange asset management. Heck, take that 400K, get another winger. Maybe a winger that can also play at striker or something like that. But uh, 
yeah, I mean, one. Did you, you give your one words for for White and Raposo? Oh, I didn't. Or... I didn't give. Uh, I didn't give words for either. I mean, Brian White. I oh, guess for... like okay, like sure, you were on the pitch. I can't really say more than that. Uh, Ryan would be would be something like spark plug or glue guy because that's he fully embodies that. Maybe didn't he? He didn't have that one stereotypical scoring chance or flash in the pan that we normally see off the bench. But uh, it was kind of due to the way the Whitecaps were playing late in that match. But no, shout out to those guys. And uh, now, Alex, I think we're going on to something we missed out on last week because we didn't have a show between matches given how condensed everything was. But uh, time to review some stocks. For sure, for sure. I mean, we got a lot of... We're going to have to figure out how we do this because we forgot to do our stock reviews before the Galaxy games. I'm going to propose on the spot here that we make it a, a cumulative venture. So we take the last two matches and we're just going to evaluate overall, was it positive or negative over the last two matches? Let's just keep it simple and do it that way. Let's do that. I mean, may as well double up on it. And then at a certain point, we were, we were losing ground anyways. So, I mean, I guess where do we start for today's... Uh... You know, let's let's dive into let's dive into my investments. And so first of all, I've got three shares in Christian Dahomey. That would be I, I would think a net neutral for the Galaxy match and then and then probably a pretty big positive for the uh, for the Seattle Sounders match. So I feel like overall that's a that's a positive. That's an improvement. But I don't know if you have you have anything to add there. I mean, it's certainly, you're, you're gonna have to repeat that. I kind of, I kind of lost my my train, my train of thinking. Not, I guess, train of the, the listening there. So it was Seattle match. I mean, yeah, it's certainly looking at the stocks, the Galaxy match. I feel like we're gonna take a lot of L's and then we'll bounce back. And well, he still he still had an assist in that Galaxy match, so I feel like at the very oh no, least... for, to start with Dahomey. Sorry, I, yes. I, I I didn't hear Dahomey's name. No, Dahomey has to be. We're evaluating Dahomey, so I think that's a plus three for Dahomey. If I think that. That's the only one I evaluated so far. So plus three for Dahomey. Then three shares in Michael Baldissimo. I think that's just a, a net even. I, there was an improvement there, um, but there wasn't necessarily a drop off either. No, I think for Baldi, I think that's probably a wash, I'd say. I, I think probably about, you know, again, he played okay, but nothing necessarily bad or good. Yeah, I think that's an easy hold for for Baldissimo. And then I'm still sitting on three shares in Bruno Gaspar. Hopefully he gets back in the lineup at some point. You know, rest up that knee. And uh, so yeah, that's just a that's just a pass on that one. Two shares in Daber Caicedo. I'll say hold for now because we didn't get to see him a ton. It was a substitute performance in the first match. Yes, he came on and did really really well. Uh, in a start against the Sounders, but there isn't that end product there yet. So we're like, I feel like we're right in the cusp of a of a bonus, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, it's certainly if we're gonna go use stocks as results, uh, certainly yeah. the results aren't quite there yet. But he's certainly you're encouraged. I think you're, you're encouraged. So I think I, I'd agree with Caicedo. Lots to like there. Moving on for you, you got two in Cameron Abibula. We'll just forget we're, about that. We're still we're still waiting. The goal there's three goalkeepers on the roster, but continues to be no Cameron Abibula, and then one in Gutierrez. I'll say hold. He continues to be good, but again, it's more shout of a out bad. to a very good match against Seattle. But overall, it's a hold. It's a hold, but uh, 
I guess moving on to, to my side, I mean, first of all, I really sold open play goals at the worst time, didn't I? I could have had Brutal. some bank there, like <laughs> one against the Galaxy, two against the team, best open play defense in the league. So I've had a bit of a howler there, but uh, one defensive set piece. I mean, they gave up a, a goal from a defensive set piece. I mean, it was a bit of a bad bounce rate to Jimmy Madranda, but uh I mean, and against the Galaxy, both of their goals were from open play. So I, I don't know I, why I'll, gi- I'll give you a hold there. I really don't think that even that Madrana goal, like it wasn't due to a breakdown in structure. So I, I think I think overall it was a, a, a solid showing for the defensive set pieces. And then one for Goody. I mean, again, hold. Two for Kayo. He's a bit harder to rate as a midfielder, but I'll say a hold just because yeah. he's, he's, he's on the cusp of something. He's been... He's, he's close to being unleashed. Two in Baldy, fair enough. Two in Mad Max. Uh, again, we'll hold, even though it's not been the greatest few weeks with him in terms of keeping clean sheets and keeping goals out of his net. Certainly a few. I bet you want some Adranda one back. Again, no, zero, zero percent of the blame on him. Screenshot, volley, everything. But knowing Max Crepo, he certainly wishes he could have got that one back. Rolling through one Cameron Abibula, hold. One Ryan Raposo, hold. One Derek Cornelius, hold. So I'm just staying at three. Just I really dropped the ball with my open play. I really I got rid of it to avoid controversy right at the worst time. I should have uh, stuck with my guns there. Well, you're you're nice and safe. So I don't think that's a bad place to be because you know I don't know. I, I this isn't necessarily a time for just unabundant you know completely abundant confidence like i think that the white caps are still in tough here with some of these matchups and so i'm i'm probably going to be pretty conservative in terms of my investments yeah i mean i don't know how i'd again it's one of those where we're kind of at an impasse where there's not much investment to to make a lot of our aspects have kind of not i guess i don't know if stale is the right word but certainly they've hit a They've stagnated, I think is a good yeah, word. Or they stagnated, they've hit a wall, or they're growing but not growing enough to really make us money. So I don't know. It's one of those where, again, I regret selling open play massively, and I do wonder if I should maybe just get it back again, but then probably no, probably dry up. But, like, they scored two goals against the best open play team in the league. How could I have seen that coming? So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm almost happy that I only have three actions to make. I don't have to deal with six actions. I mean, I guess you could probably... I am not using all six actions. That's guaranteed. Uh, so to speak, you can maybe trim off some of the, the fat of your turkey over there. You know, some of the, the excess pieces aren't maybe, you know, maybe aren't doing much. That's certainly what I did last week with the open play, but I certainly maybe trimmed off the, the wrong open, <laughs> the wrong fat off the turkey. But I don't want to get rid of any of the players because, again, it, the, the beauty with the Whitecaps it is it's rarely been individuals that have been killing them in games. So it's by having, you know, investing in a whole bunch of individuals, you tend to, to do all right. So all of this waffling to say, oh, boy, where do I want to go? Because, like, I was thinking I maybe want to invest in Cavallini now because he's a streaky scorer, but then he'll be gone <laughs> in two weeks. So what's the point in uh, investing empty? So I'll get one stock into home. I feel like... Uh, I'll have to copy you there. I, it's hard not to to, to, to join the, the Christian Dahomey hype train. Um, if not, where else do I dare uh, set my money? I don't I don't know if I have much else to, to do. I have such a wide portfolio of stocks. Maybe I'll just, uh, <laughs> maybe I'll add one Pat Metcalf stock to the bot, to the, the lot. Why not? We'll add one Pat Metcalf and then, uh, 
we'll leave you know we'll, we'll leave the, the last stock for this week i don't have anything to invest in off the top of my mind so sometimes it's best to listen and just not uh, overspend your money so yeah one to home and one metcalf we're just really diversifying even more and hopefully it'll finally pay off for me soon Okay, well, that leaves me up to six actions. A lot of ways I could go with this. I think that, so looking at my portfolio, I've almost created a, it's a good problem, but a problem for myself. Look at Dahomey, Baldi, Gaspar, Caicedo, Cam Habibula, Gutierrez. I feel like none of those guys are super, super prone to let me down on a weekly basis. Like they're, they're relatively safe shouts. And so I think I do need to inject just a little bit of chaos into the fold. So I'm going to go with a couple one share investments that could really work or could really not work. And just to see, just to keep it interesting. So what I am going to do though, is I'm going to just upgrade. I'm going to throw two shares in Gutierrez because I feel like he's found some of that early season form. Had a couple low matches, but I like what he's been able to do, especially if they're going to go 4-3-3. His ability to get forward is definitely exciting. So I'm going to throw one back into him. And then the couple. I'm just going to do two very speculative one-share offerings. And I, I guess one of these isn't really all that high risk, but I feel like picking picking defenders is ger- generally not a great practice, but I'm doing one share in Eric Godoy. Mm. And I'm doing, I know I really just kind of went a bit low on this guy earlier in the show, but I'm going to go one I share in Brian White as well. I was thinking about that one. I thought <laughs> of Cavallini. I mean, if he's going to score some yeah. goals while he's gone, I mean... It's not. It's interesting to double down on Goody ahead of the Gold Cup because he might not be here for a few weeks. But that's fine. I, I'll sit on those shares. I, I think not the worst share in the yeah. world to sit on. That's yeah. more for a symmetry perspective where Cam, Caicedo, and Goody are all on two shares. I just like kind of rind, rounding that out. Those are probably stocks I'm keeping for a while. Whereas the Godoy and Whites, if they perform poorly, they could be gone after a week. So. I mean, you could, if you add one more stock in something else, you have no. I'm I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass. That's as uh, as adventurous, I think, as I as I feel like going. Maybe if if the moment strikes here in the next couple of minutes, I'll let you know. But yeah, those are my those are my experimental investments for now. Wow, well, well, well. But I guess speaking of money and speaking of investments, before we go into the big talking part of this show and a part of the Whitecaps are going to hopefully invest big money in, here's a quick word from our partners over at Macy's Sports. Hey, third sub listeners, Sam here, just giving a quick shout out to our friends at Macy's Sports. Haven't mentioned this uh, on the show yet, but be sure to check out Macy's uh, new and improved website. I was just scrolling around and tons of great inventory info on on all the products they have available in store and you know this is a soccer podcast but shout out to field hockey and rugby as well certainly prevalent at the moment because we got some some bc guys uh, representing bc guys and girls representing their country at the upcoming olympics in both field hockey and rugby so if you need field hockey or rugby gear you can check out macy's sports as well even if you just want you know some canada kit to help cheer on your country that's something you can check out as well but obviously thanks to macy's so so much for their support all they're doing for local grassroots sports 
on Brooks Bag Avenue in North Vancouver. Go check them out both in person and at their new and improved website. So uh, thanks Macy's and now back to the show. And there we have it. A quick word from the fine folks over at Macy's Sports. Continue to support the local game in this community with everything opening up right now. Never a bad time to head over there and load up on your wardrobe uh, or kit bag or whatever you need for the soccer season. Because that's coming up quite quickly in the fall and you can obviously play pickup soccer now again now these days so if you you, you don't want to end up like with me with holes in my boots you might want to, to get some new boots that's the place to go you do get a discount if you do mention the third sub so it's never never a bad place to to go always love the fine folks over at mason sports but otherwise should we uh where should we we take this should we go into the the, the rumors before we uh or should we talk a bit of uh outlook on the white caps before we go into some of the 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 potential new signing that that might join the white caps very soon well sure i mean i just i put this in the notes because i think it's worth mentioning that and i and i said it right off the top of the show that despite all this positivity off a good result against seattle this is still a vancouver white caps team that is dead last in the western conference and third worst overall in MLS, only the Chicago Fire and TFC have had a tougher run to start the year. Um, so, you know, that that is worth keeping in mind throughout all of this. And the space, not to preview this weekend's match, but also sort of to preview this weekend's match, if it's a full three-point swing, that could put some space between someone like FC Dallas and Vancouver at the bottom of the table. So, Certainly not out of the woods by any means. FC Dallas was able to pick up a big win against the New England Revolution, who were top of the East going into the matchup. So it's very clear that FC Dallas can beat anyone. It's kind of the way MLS rolls, where anyone can beat anyone on a given day. But I think that's just worth keeping in mind. Yes, there are positive signs. There's reason to be encouraged, but still a lot of work to do. It's one of our first... uh as they used to be called in 2019, our first toilet bowls in a while where you got the two bottom teams in a conference facing each other. It is pretty funny, as you mentioned, that Dallas and Whitecaps and the, the match. This re- a really good run of form for both these teams. Well, that, I mean, just one it. match, but still. How often do you see the two last place teams, you know, again, we're going to use the toilet bowl expression, the, the Dallas beat the top team in the East, the Whitecaps drew the top team in the West away from home. I guess if we're going to call this the toilet bowl, both teams certainly flushed away some of their bad fortunes heading into this game. So it's it's certainly going to be interesting because a win for either side is huge. With how tight the West is, all of a sudden a win, you're one, two points off the playoffs. You're right back in the discussion. A loss, on the other hand, there's a little bigger hole to dig. You know, obviously saying that what we'll probably see is knowing MLS is a draw and nothing will change. But it's one of those games where winning could actually play a big role in kind of pushing a team down while also kind of getting you into some good position, a good leverage with everything. Everyone keeps beating each other in the West right now. It's just, you know, it's one of those things where it's, other than Seattle just running away, it's kind of been like, no, you, no, you, no, you go first. So they all just, you know, beat one team the next week. And then when you have the favorites, they always just kind of let off. So this, this is this game's massive for either team because especially if you're the Whitecaps, you got a couple of home games coming up, home games, obviously, you know, it's still not at home, but if you can somehow snatch a win and away from Dallas, which again, is hard, especially your Mark DeSantis' team, who's 
we have to remember this Whitecaps team picked up their fifth point out of a possible 45 in their last 15, you know, away games. So obviously struggling, but hey, they've beaten Dallas before in, in tougher situations. If they can get a win today or today, geez, just not not today, but see if they can get a win on, on that Sunday, July 4th. So there might be a bit of fireworks, a bit of festive mood. They'll, they'll put themselves in a good position ahead of a few home games where all of a sudden they could push right back up the table. Yeah, it's a it's a you mentioned how this this 10 game stretch or whatever it was would be would be crucial. And we're, we're now entering the meat of that. And I think this FC Dallas match is yeah, more important than than maybe people know or that it that it might seem at the time. Because, yeah, you look at them at the bottom of the standings and you think, OK, well, you know, who cares what gives here? But it is going to really shift things either way. And I'm, I'm excited for that one. And we're going to do a lot of diving into specific players and, and how things are going to match up in our live pregame show. So we're, we're saving some of the analysis for that. But uh, Alex, we really haven't talked about it here on the third sub in all that much detail. You just put out an article on it though. Is the Scottish Lionel Messi coming to the Vancouver Whitecaps? I feel like we have to talk about it. We've talked about all sorts of number 10s. If anything, you know, it'll be a good memory. Maybe one day you can do a what, what if, you know, or a, a team of what could have been Whitecaps number 10s. Uh, so obviously Chiquinho was the first one. You go back to Ottavio, uh, Jean-Pierre, uh, you had uh, G- Gabriel Pirani, and then Alan Patrick. Well, number six of the number 10s is on the list, and it's Ryan Gold. The Scottish Messi, as some have called him, the rare Scotsman who's taken his talents abroad to Portugal, and he was excellent there for sporting back in the day. Now, obviously for Farense, and I like this this signing. If there was to go through, obviously it was reported by our good friend Michael McCall at, over at AFTN, who happens to be Scottish, so you know how happy he must have been to get a scoop like that and put that out there. But uh, just looking at his underlying profile, this certainly might be one of the better fits that the Whitecaps have found amongst the six targets. I certainly, obviously, a guy like an Otavio might be number one on that list, a guy like Jean-Pierre. But certainly, I think uh, Ryan Gold would be in that discussion. I certainly think I, if you had to pick between him, Gabriel Pirani, uh, Alan Patrick, and I guess the last name on that list would have been Chiquinho, I probably would have Gold a bit higher. And just looking at his profile this is a very interesting player i mean he's 25 so that's obviously that ticks one box for the white caps they kind of want that in the prime but not like 29 more of that 24 25 he's playing in an underrated league so it's easier to bit you know it's going to be easier to sway him from one of the bottom feeders in portugal to to come to to the white caps and say it is a guy like octavio on a porto or a guy playing at a big club in the top five leagues and plus, Forense did get relegated this year, so they're negotiating with the team now in the second division. A little more leverage, you know, say your player's not going to want to play for you in the second division. Uh, you know, he is an international, so he's played for Scotland. They surprisingly left him home from the Euros, a decision they might regret based on how good he was last year. But, you know, he's, he's at a level where he he will get some he's an international, so it's always good to, to target a player like that. And most importantly, he actually fits the mold of the white caps, if that makes sense. It's, it's weird to say, but as, as wild as it sounds, he played on a very bad team last year. I think if you look at the numbers, he had nine goals and seven assists, outstanding output. That was 51% of his team's goals. He was directly re- involved in. They scored only 31 goals in 34 games. He had a hand in 51% of them. 
He's he had the most key passes in Portugal again the sixth ranked league in in Europe according to the UEFA coefficient so a very good league ahead of guys like Otavio for example he had some of the most shots per game in the league as a number 10 he knows how to create his own he doesn't need teammates around him which on the white caps might be the case at times sometimes you don't always get support from your teammates so he's good at that he's he's a, he can play as an 8 he can play as 11 there's a lot to like with this profile absolutely i mean i'm just looking at the stats here and i think what's what's so impressive and kind of forgotten about. And the reason he ended up in Portugal to begin with is you look at his numbers as a 17-year-old for Dundee United in the top flight in Scotland. Six goals, six assists. None of those came on penalty kicks. So that's all from, from wow. you know, s- some form of, you know, open player set piece that isn't a PK. And that's a as a 17-year-old in a very physical league that's probably not easy for youngsters to get integrated into. And since then, up until this season, just spotty consistency in terms of his play, not necessarily you know, his quality, just the amount of minutes he was getting. Then you see a full season in the Portuguese league, 33 matches played, 33 matches started, and all of a sudden that offensive output is there again. Now, mind you, five goals off penalties, so numbers a little inflated there, but hey, he's got the quality. Whitecaps really don't don't have his de- designated penalty taker, so that works fine. I guess Dahomey would be at this point, but the, the underlying numbers look really, really good. Uh, still at an age where I think there's there's room for a little bit of improvement. Yeah, it's not the, you're not bringing in the 19-year-old, but someone who maybe missed out on their 18 through 22 years just didn't quite get the run of play maybe they should have gotten and it's a great opportunity if he does come here to you know take MLS by storm I think he has every potential to be a a top player in MLS now the question is and something we can get into will he be released from his contract is he a free agent does he still belong to this Portuguese club. Obviously, they got relegated, so his interest level in staying is going to be low. But how does that work financially for the Whitecaps, who are reported to have thrown a a significant chunk of change at the player? But the question is, all of a sudden, if they have to pay a $3-4 million transfer fee, do they still have that money to offer him in terms of wages as well? Because one of the advantages, I guess, was that if you can get him in on a free, then maybe you throw more at him salary-wise. So player profile looks great. The question is, you know, do they get it across the finish line? Does someone like Celtic step in and at the last minute, you know, swoop him away? But uh, things look positive. And, and when we hear it from our from our friends like Michael in Vancouver, you know that there's some legitimate steam behind it. Yeah, well, I mean, before we go, at least I go into the semantics a bit of the transfer, just to kind of add, again, we have to remember seven, we talk about the five penalties out of his nine goals, obviously, the quality of his team, we have to remember, but he's averaging 2.3 shots per game on a white caps, that would only be best to Lucas Cavallini, his key pass numbers. I'm not trying to slight his qualities at all, it's It's, just just, worth worth pointing worth pointing out as well that it's also, you know, Europe. So that's seven primary assists. We have no idea how many secondary MLS assists he had to snatch. MLS up. needs MLS needs to go away from that. I mean, it, it works well for my fantasy team, but other they than should, that, they sometimes the way it. they it's award so assists. easy. Just say it primary, secondary. That's how I've designated it. I don't mind. Honestly, I think teams should track secondary assists.
I mean, we we don't know how much how many uh, secondary assists that that Gold has has gotten for 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 his for Forense, but. In terms of the transfer itself, because obviously Gold's a good player. I mean, you can read my article if you if you want to learn more. It's heat map. He covers a lot of ground in the final third. Just a few, a few more comparisons. I had, uh, thanks to SofaScore, they have a radar tool where you can get a radar for his stats. I compared it to Otavio, so one of the best uh, playmakers in Portugal and former Whitecaps target. And I also compared it to Pozuelo. Obviously, reigning MLS MVP, very good number 10, who came from a similar league as uh, Gold. He's very similar, actually a bit ahead of uh, Otavio in his radar and his offensive stats. And he is pretty much nearly identical to Pozuelo's radar. So worth noting that statistically fantastic player. So the Whitecaps want him. The Whitecaps need him. Uh, he certainly can can play a bit of that hero that they need. You know, you don't have to it won't be a bit of an unfamiliar role for him. So what's holding up? Well, as you mentioned, the salary, the contract, according to Michael, a 3 million a year salary offer, which if you do a quick Googling, that would make him the 10th highest played paid player in MLS. For those unfamiliar with the Whitecaps, they currently have the lowest payroll in MLS. Certainly it would go up a bit uh, if they were. I mean, to, what to... the, the Whitecaps payroll is something like, six six and a half seven million a year so that would i think it's like nine or ten okay. if i'm not mistaken it's so still it's a... like 33 percent of their payroll yeah, substantial so obviously it's a it's a big investment but you have to pay for those kinds of players it sounded like they were offering similar money to otavio so it's not something that they were this isn't a new thing but obviously the complication was who knows with these contracts forensic gets relegated some people claim he has a relegation clause that cancels his contract, makes him a free agent. And he has, he does officially have one more year. And I, I think until proven otherwise, I'm going to operate under the impression he has one more year. It's listed like that on transfer marked. Uh, the president of, of Forense insists. I just think it's, if anything, it's leverage from Forense. They, they have a really talented player. He's going to go for at least two or $3 million. And that's being generous. Teams like Sheffield United, I think, have wanted him in the championship. Sporting Club Portugal, who did used to he used to play for, have looked at him. Celtic, according to a Scottish newspaper, over thirty clubs have certainly expressed interest in him. So it's not going to be an easy race. But with the Whitecaps, the three mil salary, we have to realize that other than the top five leagues, that's actually a huge salary expenditure. They're actually offering him more salary than what he could get at most clubs so they certainly have a chance with that but the question is are they gonna have to pay a fee i think in my eyes they showed they were willing to pay six mil plus a similar contract for otavio i think gold's a similar player appears statistically he's they have a little more leverage than they did with otavio actually if anything i think if you can get him for anywhere between two to four million i think you take that deal and you run to the bank you don't ask any questions so I don't see why not. I, don't, I can't see him staying there if they're offering the right salary. I can see why he'd want to consider the Whitecaps. He'd get to be the guy here, living in a nice city. They need a player like that. They have a DP space. And worst comes to worst, they for some reason need to free up money. Ali Hadnan hasn't played a game for them this year. I feel like he'd be an easy sale to make to if you want to get some some money elsewhere, some free up some salary, get a transfer feedback. So. In terms of everything, in terms of on paper, it makes sense on, on multiple fronts. So if we're going to talk detail, other details, the transfer window opens July 7th. So that also could be another holdup, just waiting until that happens. Um, the good news is if they were to sign him, his salary charge would be halved for the rest of the year. It would be 312000 on the salary cap instead of 
25,000. So they would have room to buy another player, say, you know, with their young DP spot they have open or with another spot, they could bring in another reinforcement on the wing to shore up their depth. All of that's positive because the Whitecaps are going to finish their games at home this year. Uh, you know, imagine how it would be if you're the Whitecaps, if you get Golden, you get Adnan back from his visa limbo, you bring in another signing, you know, you're playing at home all of a sudden, you know, things could be looking up for the Whitecaps. So I think this Gold signing would be huge as not only it would help this team give them a player that would not only fit their profile, but he's also, you wouldn't be used to the daunting task, but also could kind of set their ball rolling for a big second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think you you laid it out pretty well there. That's a that's a good opportunity. That's the dream scenario if you're Vancouver Whitecaps ownership and management. And is you know you got Bruno Gaspar back in the fold, healthy. Ali Adnan is back. You have God. You have someone else. You bring in someone like Daber Caicedo finds some form. Kyle Alexandre is you know settled in, maybe scoring some goals, netting some you know getting some assists. All of a sudden, you feel like you maybe have Avellini up front. Dahomey yeah. continues to bag. The list goes on and on. The issue is we've yet to see a Whitecaps team really throughout the Mark DeSantos era where all these pieces come together. So are they able to get there? It's a it's a big big if. But hey. The profiles of all these number 10s really that they've been targeting have been very good profiles. It just, it comes down to dollars and cents. It comes down to release clauses, purchase clauses, you know, buy on, sell on fees, whatever, agent, you know, musings, all of that nonsense that holds these things up. All the reasons why someone like Deber Caicedo took six months to formalize, right? So I'm hopeful, but... At the same time, we have to pump the brakes to a certain extent until we see this kind of stuff ironed out, you know, pen properly put to paper. Yeah. Well, I just think if we're going to be a good news, uh, say good news, certainly the Otavio links were legit. The Chiquinho links were legit. All those links were legit. But this is about as close as we've seen it get to the finish line. So that's optimistic, obviously. Uh, you know, Michael has said, the, you know, it sounds like they're all but, you know, there's finalizing details on that. So that's always good to see um it's lined up perfectly the transfer window opens in seven days the white caps have all the leverage it's not like otavio where you know he's thinking of maybe re-signing it's still january he ends up playing well against juventus they re-sign him gold's not at the euros right now so he can't go push his value up any further he's on a second division team the white caps are there's just so much leverage there it feels like for for the first time of all these number 10s they're all like legit links they're all certainly there but this is the first time where you can really look at it and see a path to actually happening quite soon you're hearing the right things it's not just potential smoke it's it feels like there's you can almost smell the fire right now it's not you know you don't just smell see the smoke you smell the fire so there's a lot to be excited out there about there obviously with the with that i think that could be huge for for the white cap season i mean i mentioned before a number 10 like this could mask a lot of their problems that they still do need to figure out. I still think, again, now with this 4-3-3, I feel a little optimistic than I do two weeks ago. I think that's a problem they needed to fix. They've started to fix that, getting the most out of the wingers, their midfielders, getting their back four organized, all that. I think if they can start to fix those problems, what I like most about Gold is that of, of his profile, of all the six profiles we mentioned, he has the one that fits the white caps the best. Just that, 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 characteristic of being able to carry a team not being daunted by the task fitting it as a number eight fitting it as a number 10 i I just really like his profile so hopefully they can make it work i I certainly think 
it's as close to, to it as making it, you know happen as we've seen but also it's just his profile may be the best one in terms of the white cap not the best player but certainly the profile that matches up the the best so this it makes it a very exciting potential move all right well we'll continue to track that situation certainly and as as details come in or don't come in we'll we'll be right on top of it one thing that i'm sure a lot of our listeners saw over the course of the Seattle Sounders match was a Twitter thread sparked by a former Whitecaps employee, a former Carl Robinson disciple, uh, Navid Meshin. I don't even know how to say his last name. I apologize. But he's a guy that pops up on, uh, on Whitecaps Twitter from time to time. He has charts. He has graphs. He's a, a data scientist to some degree and, and did analytical work for the Whitecaps while Robo was in town. And the whole impetus of his thread was how much worse things have gotten since Carl Robinson left and the, you know, the, how the club is a shambles now without Robo and citing, you know, standings and, and, and the performance of the team. And it, it certainly sparked a debate because I think some of the, some of the arguments were tenuous at best, not necessarily representative of the the overall trends kind of kind of handpicked data but it, it brings up an interesting debate at the very least which is were the Whitecaps better off under Carl Robinson and I think for me it opens up a debate like were they better off just relying on you know a coach that was going to play a bit of a negative style get the most out of his players and you know play 4-4-2 Brexit ball and and rely on his agents for his agent friends for additions i mean it does at the very least seem to have produced sort of similar results so i think it it sparks an interesting debate i don't agree with most really of what navid had to say but it i was very excited that he brought this stuff up because i think it's it's fun to dive into oh boy it's quite the loaded uh you know loaded gun so to speak the loaded topic so I mean, what I'll say, Carl Robinson as a coach, I mean, you know what you're going to get. And I think it's honestly, you know, all things considered, looking at his time in Vancouver, pretty good. You know, you got results. It wasn't necessarily the, the nice football at time. But again, they were fun to watch in transition. They defended like their lives depended on it. They were fun, you know, because they were winning. They were making things happen. And I mean, they certainly hit a ceiling. They probably should have done better with some of the players they had in say 2015 and 2017 in their playoff runs, like how they handled that certainly left a bit of a sour taste, but otherwise you knew what you're going to get with Robinson. Again, maybe it would have been interesting what he could have done if he had proper connections and wasn't just bringing his dragging his birdie and beaties and Jordan Mutches and et cetera around the world. Just it would be yeah, his avid agency. But, uh, but then again, just using the points per game method is just so limited because we have to look at DeSanto's era in context, the first year rebuild, the second year pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. So I won't judge the results. But one thing that Robinson has that DeSantos would need to strive for is that whole idea of an identity. Whether you liked it or not, you knew how the Robinson era Whitecaps were going to play. You knew when you showed up to BC Place, you're getting a 4-2-3-1. You knew that they were going to sit deep. They were going to defend really well. They're going to be hard to beat in the air. They were going to get their wingers in transition and their strikers were going to you know, feed their strikers goals. With Dos Santos, no matter the win record, it's been hard to find any sort of identity. Some game it's parked the bus. Some game it's, you know, trying to play like Liverpool. Some games it's a 3-5-2. Some games it's this. Some games it's that. 
there hasn't been a lack of a clear identity. And so, you know, you don't need it. You do need an identity, say. I don't think the formation, you know, that's one criticism of DeSantis I haven't necessarily agreed with. Oh, you don't, you know, he switches the formations too much. You can tweak your formations constantly and be good. The problem is the white caps are tweaking formations when they don't have a base identity. So that's the one thing Carl Robinson has that maybe the white caps miss is just having an identity, having a team where they know what they are. But uh, other than that, I think it's, it's been a tough sledding for, for DeSantos. And I think if he doesn't find that identity soon, the writing might be on the wall for him. But uh, just looking at the comparison, I don't think the comparison was the right one to, to make, so to speak. Well, yeah, I want to give a shout out to uh, to my guy, Kale Wilkins, who did a really good video sort of breaking down some of the points and discussions made. And one of the things that really stood out to me was he compared expected goal differential all the way from 2013 to 2021 with the millions of dollars spent above or below median MLS salary. And you can see that basically when the Whitecaps back in 2013, 14, 15, they were spending right on average MLS salary. They were an average MLS team. And as the expenditure salary-wise has dropped, the performances have dropped. Now, you look at something like 2019 with massive outlier that year was a complete disaster. And Mark DeSanto certainly deserves blame for that. But overall, really other than that year, there were similar struggles or it kind of looks like coaching didn't matter all that much or as much as maybe some have outlined or or tried to convince us. I mean, I look at a year like 2016 specifically, they spent $700,000, that's the white caps, above the average MLS salary and their goal differential was below negative 10. So, you know, there are years like that for Carl Robinson as well. So, you can you with all these sort of you know data driven arguments, you can certainly handpick and, and come up with compelling reasons for for your case if you look deep enough, if you if you dig enough. But I think what I've learned throughout this whole discussion is that the Whitecaps struggles seem to stem beyond a coaching level. Uh, that's not a surprise to anyone, but that's that's something that certainly kind of rears its head the deeper you dig into this stuff and some of those changes do seem to be coming i have been encouraged by what axel schuster's done the scouting department looks good the question is just can you fit all those pieces together can you extract the most out of players when they arrive you know a guy like leo wusu is a prime example someone seems like a good ad someone that on paper you can fit into your lineup and feel confident in but then when you actually see him on the field, when you see the way he's deployed, it looks very different. So the Whitecaps still, you know, 10 years on, have to find answers to those kinds of problems. And I think that extends beyond spending on transfer fees and comparing Carl Robinson to Mark Santos. That's it. I think there's other, you know, issues to look at. I mean, it's always worth noting that under Robinson, they never spent much in terms of fees. They did consistently have a mid payroll they, they always had a good payroll so and theoretically i mean experts say there's more of a cor- correlation between results and payroll than there is results and transfer fees i do think it's a bit influenced by the fact in the premier league the you know teams they're a little more lazy they just spend a lot of money on fees and it's not like mls where it's like an, an even sandbox where you need to 
you know, you're, you're, you're trying to look for any advantage. But it's well, certainly... the, the Whitecaps have chosen to go young on their additions. And that has meant that then the transfer fees are higher because you're buying on potential. If you bring in a bunch of 30-year-old vets, you can often get them on freeze or get them at a lower transfer freight, but then you might be pay, paying them more salary. So uh, you again, you can, like I just said with this data stuff, you can you can pick at it from either perspective, depending on what point you want to make. But I, I think that the, yeah, I, I'm tired of hearing that they spent the most in CONCACAF in 2020. I think that's a bit played out at this point. Yeah, like, I mean, in terms of fees, they certainly did, but it's, it's something where it, it's hard to, the, the hardest thing with the Santos is they have a good roster. I feel like it'd be disingenuous to some of the signings they have just say they have a poor roster. So it feel, at a certain point, hopefully this, maybe this is the turnaround to Santos needs this point away from Seattle. Maybe he finds his light in some new life, but uh, it is worth noting that this roster is a good roster. So it's going to be interesting, I guess, to see where things go. But uh, otherwise, if we're going to look at some other Whitecaps players, some Whitecaps news, before we, we round off some CPL chatter, David Egbo sent to the be- one of the best teams in USL, couldn't find a crack at all in the Whitecaps. So naturally he gets his first start for Phoenix Rising uh, on the weekend. He scores his first goal for Phoenix Rising. So, I mean, let's just throw the question out there. Did the Whitecaps make a, lo- make a mistake loaning him out before he even got a single minute for the team? And should they have maybe even, dare I say, him would he have been a better investment to have around instead of spending 400k on a new striker? I think there's, there's, yeah, there's definitely a compelling argument to be made that you could have kept Egbo and not spent that money on Brian White. Now, that being said, I think for Egbo's personal development, the fact that he gets to go and hopefully boss it in, in USL could be really positive. And even for the Whitecaps, if they he stays on loan the rest of the year and they bring him in next year, maybe he hits the ground running and has a really good inaugural MLS season. So I don't want to entirely downplay the importance of going out and loan and, and getting opportunities at the right level. Phoenix Rising, I mean, that's a great organization to be a part of. A little bit, you know, I saw from him, seemed like his, his holdup play was super, super strong. Something the Whitecaps could certainly, you know, use from a striker. I I'm enticed by the idea of him and Cavallini up front. If you want, if you want two strikers together, but we're we're obviously I, we're not going to see that this year. I'm just happy that Theo Bear and David Egbo would be pretty fun to see together. I'm just happy that this seems to be going a lot better than Yasser Kamiri's stint in the USL. Uh, so hey, it's great to see him getting action. Hopefully, this is a good long-term thing for the Whitecaps. And even if he doesn't play in MLS, there's already talks about clubs abroad being interested in him so second division turkey team more specifically exactly so hey so strange even if even if you get a little financial bump out of it it, at least this seems to be a positive mood move for the individual but yeah questions to be asked in terms of just international spots asset management overall vision of the roster when you have a guy like this in the fold and you bring in another striker oh i agree that your point that he should be on loan if he's not going to play, I, I, it's good that he's getting burned. He's getting goals. He's getting minutes. My point is more just why did they, he got not get a single sniff. He goes on loan and now he's producing. It's really like, you couldn't at least give him a shot. It's not like strikers dra- drafted in the top 10 in, in MLS super draft. Don't have a history of, you know, going on good runs when given opportunities or anything. I, I mean, there's a few strikers kicking around MLS in Europe that 
certainly show that giving them a shot isn't the worst thing to do, at least you're out of college right away. So, again, I'm happy that he's on loan. Just a bit strange. They couldn't use him. And just look at what they're getting out of Javane Brown before his injury as a 23rd pick. Do you not think the eighth pick was way highly, you know, more highly touted than him could have at least provided something similar, if not better? You wonder, Aki, you even think, look at Ryan Raposo, if he could, you could use some more minutes because he's been good whenever he plays. There is still some found money in the Super Draft, even though it's a bit of a antiquated process. I'd certainly think beyond the first round, you should probably trade your picks most years and just go for homegrowns. But there's still found money to be had. It's just unfortunate the Whitecaps have uh, got received the money, but they've chosen not to spend it. Metaphorically, that is, with those players. You know, they, they, they have a chance to draft them, and then they do, and then they just they leave them to, to rot sometimes, but uh, it's good to see Egbo get some burn. Hopefully he can tear up the USL and show the white caps that, okay, maybe they should give him a run at some point. And just uh, one final shout out for me on the, on the white caps front. Uh, we still don't have a formal schedule or any kind of idea what the, what the long-term plan is, but the U23s did play a, an exhibition match. I guess it was about a week ago now um, against, against a local team out in Bur- Tigers. Indeed, out in Burnaby. And uh, Emilio Bresnia, am I saying that correct? Or? I think it's Brienza. I think Brienza. Like Emiliano. I think it's, yeah, Emiliano. Emiliano. Brienza, Brienza scored, a, scored a hat trick. So that's that's cool to see. Um, if I'd known about that in advance, I definitely would have tried to wander by. <laughs> but obviously the... Yeah, the the media in that regard is is pretty low. Despite the fact the Whitecaps just updated their website, there's still no information about the under 23s. So uh, shout out to that, but also shout out to the under 23s, and good to see them back in action at least in some form. But before we sign off here, we have some important business. It was the opening weekend of the Canadian Premier League in the Winnipeg bubble. Some impressive results, some surprising results. A little bit of everything. Alex, what did you think opening weekend, all the way from the way the teams performed to the coverage? You know, give, give us your initial impressions. Where do I start? I mean, good. Uh, the camera angle is miles better than the Island game, so that's always a start. It's nice the to fake, play a The fake stadium. pitch, not being able to see uh, the, the ball, fake, still needs problem. to go. It would be nice to see the ball every time it goes more than 20 feet in the air, but... Otherwise, I mean, it's a solid bubble. Per se, I still think Langford would have been better, especially when you saw that a lightning delay that, that caused wreaked havoc on Pacific versus Halifax. But otherwise, it's a good bubble. It's got good facilities, central location, good for the time zones, which is always a forgotten aspect. So you have to remember if games were being played at in Victoria, for example, you have to consider Halifax being four to five you know, hours away in the time zones. It's better than the island games where for us, we'd have some games at nine and ten and, and whatnot because of the time zone but I mean, yeah Manitoba is a solid bubble as for the teams I think it was a good opening weekend for for most teams I mean Ottawa came out the gates opening game took care of business against Edmonton expected Edmonton looked a lot better than I, I gave them credit I, I thought from them but that's also expected they got a good coach they've got a good roster they just kind of need to put their pieces together Ottawa obviously one of the early favorites favorites for a reason they showed that uh, just good game, fantastic late winner from Vidi Martinez to go one nil. Some other big performances from uh, you know someone like Drew Becky at the back for Ottawa. I thought was solid. I was really impressed with. I think it was Tobias Warchuski up front for Edmonton. That's going to be a name I'm just going to take well used to to pr- pronounce, let alone spell. 
second game of the day, I thought, um, b- between Pacific and Halifax, Pacific looked fantastic. They played Halifax right off the park. I think Halifax missed a guy like Suzoko, Abubakar Abu Suzoko. I think a guy like Marcello Polisi will be a good replacement for him when he's up to speed. But obviously, having played, trained a week with them, that's still a while away. Pacific looked de- deadly. Marco Bustos, Manny Aparicio, and uh, Alejandro Diaz looked deadly on the ball. Jamar Dixon, Josh Hurd, and uh, oh my boy, uh, Ali Bassett looked fantastic in midfield. Bassett scores a worldie. Bustos scores. Everything as expected. Pacific looked like a powerhouse. It's going to be hard to stop them. Halifax, they can keep their head high. They played decent. They still got some new additions to work in their squad and guys get up to fitness. Otherwise, quickly pouring through the other two games, Valor versus Forge. Forge looked just didn't look up to speed. You could tell they've only trained two weeks. Valor looked great. They were organized. They were compact. They did their job. They get two nice goals. Austin Ritchie scores a goal, wins a pen. Forge, on the other hand, I wouldn't be too worried. They've got one of the deepest lineups in the CPL. They were holding onto the ball. They had some fantastic sequences, but when you don't play in a while, you don't train much with the COVID restrictions. You could tell they were missing that final pass, that rust. I can't see a, a team with Tristan Borges, Paolo Sabat, Kyle Becker, all these guys on the field at the same time, losing many more games like that. So good on Valor, but also tough luck for Forge. And lastly, York versus Cavalry. Cavalry looked dominant. I, I Maybe I sold them a bit short in my preview. I had them finishing fifth. I might need to upgrade that. They looked really good. All their new signings gelled. York on the other side, to be fair, they hadn't traded much. And unlike Fords, they have no foundation to build off of when you have so much turnover. But a bit worried about that York team. Their depth already is a bit, you know, thin up front, thin in midfield and at the back. But they did have a few moments and they scored a really nice goal because they have Diadine Abzi, who is obviously a one you know, a one-man attacking force at Especially times. late in that match, he did he everything in his power. He, he was everywhere. I think Chris Novich in saw fullback playing midfield. He was excellent. One of my players to watch. Other side on Cavalry, just Anthony Novak. What a signing that was from him. He looked really good. Otherwise, Sergio Camargo and Jose Escalante, the 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 two, you know, ter- you know, number tens of terror last, you know, from 2019 are back lost to like so overall great weekend of action i i was really impressed i guess to summarize to to pick up any of the scraps from what you just outlined i think pacific by far biggest winners of the weekend just looking super impressive i mean other than seattle on the weekend that was the nicest looking build-up play i i've seen in a while on a couple of those goals and if you're halifax you're forge i don't think you have to be too worried like the the quality is still there. The you you know there's the structure. There's the confidence in the coaching. You know it's week one. Things got off to a bit of a slow start. No worries there. But yeah, I think if you're if you're York, it already looks a little bit messy. And obviously they're gonna grow as they get to train more and 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 jump into the season. But I, I just worry that they might be a step behind. Cavalry look good. The question is when they get matched up against a better team, what do they look like? And then Ottawa, who we both picked as as big risers. It's hard to tell how good Edmonton is in comparison to the rest of the league, you know. And it wasn't necessarily a banner match for Ottawa. They didn't overwhelm Edmonton, but uh, I am feeling confident about their performance. Overall, I mean, maybe Edmonton and York kind of down at the bottom of the, the table in terms of performances in week one, but 
it feels like there's a lot of parity in this league. It feels like most of the matches are going to be pretty competitive. And so I'm super excited. And obviously, you know, shout out to those on the island because Pacific really felt like the big winners of week one. And uh, that's good to see. I mean, overall, just looking, it's very early. It's been one game. But just looking kind of at my early season groupings, we projected that Forge, Ottawa, Pacific, Halifax, Cavalry would kind of be all fighting for the four playoff space spots. I don't. I haven't seen anything to disagree with that. It's obviously early. Forge still need to kick off the rust. But what I did learn is that Valor and Edmonton are not going to be easy outs for any yeah. team. I mean, the Valor beating Forge the way they did quite convincingly with the two very clinical goals. Edmonton looking very full value, only losing Van 81st minute winner. I don't want to play any of those teams if I'm the other ones. That's a kind of feels like a one of those banana peels where they, you see it, you might get a little overconfident and then they just absolutely surprise you, especially I wouldn't want to play away to Edmonton in the fall when it starts to get cold, it starts to get wet, ditto with Winnipeg. They're the ones. York's the real wild card because they have a lot of talent, but I I just continue to not be too convinced by them. Even last year, they just they didn't look all that convinced. It was one thing that they weren't getting the results, but they just aren't looking convincing, and I really need to see more out of them. Obviously, it's early, so I give them a pass, but if they are to impress and to prove me wrong, they need to show more than just results. They need to show that they have the capacity to play some good football, like a team like a Pacific is or an Ottawa or a Halifax, or even like Edmonton and Valley, where there's an identity. I'm still waiting to see that from York on the pitch. But otherwise, like you mentioned, I don't think there's any lopsided games this year in CPL. At least there shouldn't be. And that's going to be good for, for the viewer. It's going to be fun. It's always going to be good to tune into the games. I mean, I think this week, for example, there's Pacific versus York, which should be a very interesting game for York. See how getting the, you know, how getting their legs under their belt will help them for their preparation. Otherwise, um, there's Valor versus Halifax, which is a very intriguing matchup between one team that surprised in the opening weekend, one team that wants their game back. Atletico Cavalry is going to be a beautiful game just to see Cavalry get a real test. Uh, from Ottawa and then obviously Ottawa got a real test from Cavalry lost to like there and then lastly Edmonton versus Forge can Edmonton surprise Forge much like Valor did who knows so lost to like there lost to like absolutely uh I'm, I'm excited to continue to dive into these matches and I just want to give a big shout out to uh Valor's white and burgundy or white and claret or whatever you want to call it kits uh those were phenomenal in week one I I really enjoyed them, and that was just yeah. If there's if there's one little bit of fashion or kit news from the weekend, I wanted to give a shout out to Valor. And hey, they're gonna get some some supporters in the building soon, and that's that's gonna be cool to see. And maybe they can, you know, make me eat my words and capitalize on some of this early season momentum because uh, that was that was a good showing. And if they're gonna they're gonna play as good as they looked in those kits, then uh, could be good things coming. Hey, the CPL kits are fantastic. If we're going to talk about that. There's rarely a bad kit. I wasn't sold on Valor's. I might have to change that opinion. It looks good on the pitch. Otherwise, yeah, most of the kits, new kits look good. We didn't see all of them. There was a few teams that had to stick with the, the Black City kits. But, for example, we got treated to a fantastic color wave matchup between Pacific, Halifax, obviously the red on uh, – the, the, the red, where did I get red? Purple on blue. I really like the Ottawa versus Edmonton. The blue on red and white was very aesthetic. Cavalry uh, versus uh, York, we saw the black on white, which was, you know, Cavalry's black is one of the better black kits in the league. York's white, fantastic. Otherwise, Forge. There's just good kit matchups in this league. It's, it's going to be fun to see. I can't wait to go to a Pacific game 
5,000 fans maybe in August when they return Pacific versus Ottawa or something like that. Or imagine like a, you know, like a purple versus white of York or like a purple versus, I guess we're talking Western teams. How about this? A purple versus blue of Edmonton. How nice would that look? Can't wait. Yeah, uh, there's they've done a really good job so far. But yeah, that was just the one that I, I kind of like you. I wasn't 100% sold seeing it you know, modeled, but then seeing that kid on the pitch, I was really impressed. And so not only are the kits going to be good the rest of the CPL season, but I think the action should be too. Alex, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of this episode of the third sub podcast. We're obviously going to be covering the Whitecaps this weekend. So stay tuned for that live show. Looking forward to doing that match is July 4th at a five 30 local time. For us in Vancouver, so that'll be a 4.30 Pacific pregame show start. So 86 Forever YouTube, stay tuned for that. But as always, you can find me at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter at 86forever.com. You can find our podcast at Third Sub Pod on Twitter, The Third Sub on Instagram. That's pretty much it. Alex, over to you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Alex. Don't get music at BTS, BTS Van City, BTS Van City. Com. Lots of stuff coming through as always. So make sure to check that out. And to, you know, thanks for, for listening. We appreciate your support as always. But that was another episode, episode 103 to be exact, of the third sub podcast presented by Macy Sports. Thanks to all the listen, and we'll catch you again on episode 104 and our live show. <laughs>